Uh, we've been in a series entitled One Another, and uh, as you know throughout this series, we've been looking at what the Lord calls us um, to do and the responsibilities that we have to one another in Christ Jesus. And so what we've been looking at is we start off with this aspect that we owe a debt of love to one another, and that love is uh, uh because of God's great love for us, we owe him love back, but God sets the terms of that repayment. Um, uh, any of us who have a loan know there's always repayment terms with a loan. And so uh, God says that you do this by loving one another. And we know that the second command is, uh, uh, well, the first command is to love the Lord our God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likewise to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've been examining what this means to truly love our neighbor as ourselves. And Last week, um, we were looking at the aspect of how uh, uh, we love in word and in deed and uh, how we encourage one another. And your homework last week was that each day find someone uh, to encourage, whether it's by word or by deed. And so uh, many of you uh, took time out and we shared even starting on Sunday, find someone who's serving here at Mars Hill Fellowship Church to encourage them by thanking them uh, uh, for their service. And we talked about different ways that you can encourage by word or deed. And uh, as a continuation and transitioning to this new instruction that we have, uh, the Word of God tells us that we are also to pray for one another. Um, we are to pray for one another or bear one another up. And so we're going to be looking this morning and examining that one of the ways that we encourage and what we're doing is knowing the fact that we're praying for one another on a continual basis. And that's one of the things that as a body of Christ, one of the strengths is knowing that uh, we're praying. Um, uh, I'll share this morning just about some of the aspects of prayer that we have here at Mars Hill Fellowship Church, but uh, you ought to be—you ought to know that if you have come at least one time to Mars Hill Fellowship Church, somebody here at Mars Hill Fellowship Church is praying for you, and uh, we're praying for you, praying that all that God has purposed and planned for you that will it will come to pass, and that uh, for many of us who are for many of those who are students in this season, we're praying for your strength during this uh, final season. For those who are at work, we're praying as you get through the holiday season and holiday parties and uh, all of the stuff that transpires fires there. And so whatever season of life we might be in, for those of us who are parents, we're praying for your bank account as you think about all the, the gifts that your kids want and everything else. And so we're praying uh, that God would strengthen you in this season. But we have a responsibility not just to have the pastors and the elders and the leaders be the ones that pray, but we have a responsibility one to another to pray for each other. Amen. Amen. Let's look in the book of James, chapter number five and verse number 13. James, chapter number five and verse number 13. And it reads, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This uh, emphasis here in 16 part B, the prayer of a righteous man 
or woman. The prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. And then he goes on to say, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your instruction to us, O God, Lord, which is the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that even as we look to examine uh, these pa- this passage of scripture today, Lord, that you would hope, uh, hope open our hearts and our minds to understand the call and the responsibility that you've given to us to pray for each other, O oh God. Father, we pray that even uh, as we understand the role of an intercessor, someone who is called to pray, Lord, on behalf of another, Lord, that we would not just see it as someone else's role, but Lord, we would take on that same responsibility, Lord, and be those who would lift one another up in prayer and supplication before you. And so, Father, we thank you for the prayers that will even be answered this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given unto us. It's in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, In this season, uh, we've had the privilege of uh, doing premarital counseling for a number of couples. And uh, premarital is always exciting because usually when couples come into our premarital sessions, the first session, they, they figure that they're so in love and, uh, and they just, you know, Ooh, we love one another and, oh, he can't do anything wrong and she can't do anything wrong. And, and you know, by session, we have usually about eight sessions um, that are in our premarital. And usually by about session three or four, they're like, Pastor Joseph, let me tell you about something. Can we get an extra session, uh, you know, in on here? And inevitably, we have what we call the argument lab. And in the argument lab, we let couples uh, actually go through a discussion and work through an argument in front of the pastors. Now, uh, listen, the gloves come off and those who have gone through premarital can attest uh, to that. And, And the gloves come off. But what we teach them is how to fight fair. Uh, no undercuts, no low blows, um, but how to fight fair and resolve the issues that they're going through. But one of the things that we also teach couples is the understanding that you have a responsibility in the marriage context to fight for each other and to fight for this marriage. We are living in a day and an age in a society where uh, a marriage is seen, uh, it's very easy to, to dissolve a marriage. And so we see the escape car being pulled out of marriage very easily. And a lot of couples, they They are not willing to fight for the relationship and to fight for the marriage. Now, one of the things we have to realize is that if I'm going to have somebody who's walking alongside of me, if there's something coming towards me, we got to fight together. I mean, could you imagine it if we were out camping in the woods and there's a big bear and I'm there with Pastor Ophelia and all my and our kids and I see the big bear and I'm standing next to Pastor Ophelia and I say, see ya. And I start running. I say, wait, 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 wait. I mean, Pastor O would say, wait, 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 wait a minute. And so recognizing that if I'm going to walk with someone, I want to make sure that we're fighting the same things and we're on the same page and we understand, listen, if there's something that's coming, we're going to fight together. We're going to do this together. And what we have to realize is that within the body of Christ, we are called to be a body, meaning that we're operating together, meaning that the person on your left and your right, guess what? 
When it's time to fight, don't run. <laughs> You're a part of the responsibility to fight. Now, I, I use that in the literal sense, but in the spiritual sense, we are called to fight the good fight of faith. Now, uh, many of us have understood that Ephesians tells us what we should put on in order to fight the good fight of faith. In Ephesians 6, you know it's the full armor of God's scripture. If you didn't know, you know now. Um, so Ephesians 6, it tells us to put on the full armor of God. And in doing that, it tells us these different parts of the full armor of God that we're to put on. It tells us to put on the belt of truth around our waist. It tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness in place. It tells us to get our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. It tells us to take the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It tells us, it tells us to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But then in verse number 17, uh, excuse me, verse number 18, it's up on the screen here. It tells us an additional part that many of us ignore. Ephesians 6 and verse number 18. And it says, and pray. And pray. How? And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, notice here, it does not say just keep on praying for the saints you get along with. It doesn't say just keep on praying for the saints that have never wronged you ever. But it says keep on praying for all the saints. And it tells us in this aspect of keeping on, it has this word always. We are to always keep on praying. Now, what that means is that this aspect of prayer is a continual thing that the believer is engaging in communion with God. And we want we need to realize that the prayer that we're going keeping on is not just one dimensional, but there are multi dimensions to prayer. Now, an integral aspect of prayer is not only personal petition. We know that. God, I need. God, help me. God, save us. God, give me the answers to this test. I mean, we, we know those personal petitions. But also, we also realize that a part of prayer is also praise. So a part of our prayer is where we go into our time of praise and thanksgiving. And we did that here in worship. That was an aspect of prayer. We are communing with God with the words that we worship God with. Another aspect of that of it is also what we call corporate prayer and intercession. Now, the challenge is, is that many people, they limit prayer to one dimension and not realizing that prayer is multiple dimensions. And so when he says, keep on praying for all the saints, he's introducing this aspect of what I call the corporate prayer and intercession, which is a responsibility for all believers. Now, there are parts of the personal prayer and petition where you read in Matthew where it tells about, uh, you know, if you're going to pray, pray in secret and the God who sees in secret will reward openly. And so that's a part of the personal prayer. But that does not negate that just because you've done personal prayer that you don't engage in corporate prayer and intercession. We are called to walk in multiple dimensions of prayer. And so what we look at in terms of intercession, what does it mean to intercede? To intercede simply means to plead or petition on behalf of another. 
to plead or petition on behalf of another. See, my son, Nehemiah, he has learned even at a young age how to intercede for his own needs. So he'll go to his mom and ask her, you know, can I wear this? And then she'll say no. And so then he'll come over to me. Mommy said no, but can I still wear this? And I said, did you listen to yourself? Yeah, but I was going to, I still wanted it. And so this aspect of interceding, we're pleading or petitioning on behalf of another. And with the aspect of pleading or petitioning, we're doing it as if it was our own need that we're praying for. As if it was our own need that we're praying for. Uh, One aspect of intercession that is important is that intercession is no good if you're going to do it half-hearted. If you're, if you're going to say, well, I got to pray for you. Pastor Joseph told me I have to pray for you this week. So, Lord, I pray when they get hit by a bus, it doesn't hurt them too much. All right? You know, I mean, you, 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 you can't pray these half-hearted prayers. You can't pray, you know, Lord, get them. Lord, I hope they understand. I mean, corporate prayer is a, a time where people like to pray their own grievances with others. And those of you who've been in corporate prayer meetings, you know some of those experiences and say, Lord... I thank you for my dear brother Bernard and uh, 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 Daniel and 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 Lord, I know that he's fallen short in many ways. Lord, I know that when he said those words to me the other day, he did not mean them. But Lord, I realize that he can't keep a tight rein on his tongue. I mean, we'll pray these petitions and Daniel has not wronged me, Daniel. We, we, we cool, right? All right. <laughs> Daniel has been, we have a great, great relationship, but we, we try and sometimes in our intercession just kind of try and air our grievances rather than going to them. But this aspect of intercession is realizing that we're trying to see that God's will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So the philosophy of intercessory prayer, we find it here in James chapter number five. Now, this passage gives specific examples and is talking about multiple aspects of prayer. But in James chapter number five and verse number 16, you see this principle illustrated here in part B of the verse. And it says the prayer of what? A righteous man is what? Powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. Now, I have a confession to make. I do not like being ineffective. I don't know people, I mean, most of you probably don't like being ineffective either, but I I don't just enjoy just doing something just to find out I've messed up on it or it doesn't work or you get to the end and it's like, oh, there's no answer. Uh, You know, it's just like, all right, uh, what did I just waste the last three days for? And so I I, want to make sure that if I'm doing something, that I will be effective in it. And if you're praying for others, you want to make sure that when you're praying for others, that the prayers that you are praying are powerful and effective. So uh, what does it mean that they're ineffective? You mean there can be ineffective prayers? Yes, there can be ineffective prayers. Now, many of you, uh, if you've ever read the story of Job, you'll know that Job had a number of friends. Um, Well, I use that term lightly. Uh, Job had people who liked to give their own counsel. And uh, as Job was going through his experience with God, he had friends who would come along and, and tell him, you know, different things. And one of the things was that they all had their opinion and they were all praying certain things for Job. But some of the things that they were praying, they were not in alignment with God's will. 
And if you read towards the end, the latter part of Job, you'll see where uh, God corrects his friends and they say, I, I have this. God says, I have this odd against Job's friends. And what he says is this odd. He says, you have not said what is right according to my will. And so we, we even quote a lot of scriptures where we talk about, you know, what the brother, what the, what the friend said to them. And some of the scriptures, they're dead wrong. Now they're in scripture, but they're in there to show you that just because you have something to say doesn't mean that it lines up with God's will. And in intercession, just because we utter words out of our mouth doesn't mean that we're having powerful and effective intercession. So how do we do that? Let's break this down and let's first look at what does it mean? What does it mean to be a righteous man or woman? And secondly, what does it mean that our prayers are powerful and effective? So we all want powerful and effective prayers, right? Raise your hand if you want powerful and effective prayer. You want your prayers to get through. You don't, you don't want, I, I don't need my prayers just bouncing up on the ceiling, coming back down. I need, I want to see prayers that are answered and powerful and working in the midst of what God has called us to do. And so we see that the qualification of that, of what, where we have powerful and effective prayer, it says the prayer of a righteous man. Now, we ought to pay attention to what the scripture says. Now, if we see that here, this intercessory prayer calls for a righteous man or woman to be the one who is engaging in this aspect, we need to realize that intercessory prayer was never meant to be for PhDs only. It wasn't meant to be just for the super spiritual. It wasn't meant to be the responsibility of praying for others of just those who have a collar. I mean, I don't have a collar on today, but I'm still called to intercessory prayer. It's not an aspect of whether or not you wear a collar. It's an aspect of who are you in Christ? Have you been redeemed? If you have, then your responsibility is to be an intercessor. Now, some of us, we can think of the fact that, you know, Sometimes we can barely get in our own prayers. And so how can we be, really be qualified to pray for someone else? Some of us, you know, realize that prayer can be difficult. But all of these things do not negate our responsibility to be an intercessor. God hears our prayers not based on the number of years of service in the kingdom. God does not hear our prayers based upon our closeness to the front of the sanctuary. It's not that these people on the front of the road, Dio and, and Chinieri, get extra prayers heard because they're closer to the pastor. I mean, God doesn't hear. I mean, could you think if God did that, you know, seating assignments based upon whether your prayer got heard? If you were in the back of the church, <laughs> you got a long way to wait for your prayers to get through. You're trying to slip with somebody. Can I, can I change seats with you? Get up a little closer. Everybody would be coming to the front of the sanctuary if your prayers were heard based upon how close you were to the pastor or the preacher. It's not based upon those things. The reality is that our prayers are heard based upon the shed blood of the cross. And because of that, it gives us access by faith to God. The prayer of the righteous man is effective. We ought to ask ourselves, are we righteous? Do we qualify for this? Are we able to take hold of these promises that the prayers of the righteous man are powerful and effective? Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans. So the question is, are we righteous? Do we qualify for this? Well, great question. I'm going to answer it for you. Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter number three. And if you look at verse number Uh, 10. 
it answers it for us quickly in verse number 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. <laughs> there is no one righteous, not even one. So if we read this here, we realize, oh my, <laughs> we got some problems. <laughs> Now, uh, let's read on. It says, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I want to dispel the myth of the good person. Because in the eyes of God, this scripture tells us there is not one who is good or righteous on their own to be able to earn their own salvation or to be able to say, my prayers are heard by God because I'm righteous. You can't go and say, you know what? You know how many canned goods I brought into the Marshall Fellowship Church canned food drive? I brought the whole box. I mean, I bought a whole store and brought it in and, and, and gave it out. But even if you did all of that, you would still not be considered righteous in God's eyes based upon your own strength. Now, if we stop there and stop reading, we would say, all right, so why are we reading this scripture in James? If there's no one righteous, what's the purpose? My prayers are just going to bounce off the ceiling. And why pray for someone else if I don't qualify for having powerful and effective prayer? Well, that's why you need to read the Bible. Because if you go down and continue reading in chapter number three, you'll see that in the same chapter, the apostle Paul goes on to say in chapter three, Romans three and verse number 21. And he says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. And it goes on to say the, this righteousness from God comes through what? Faith in who? To who? To all who believe, there is no difference. It goes on to say in the next verse, for all have sinned and fallen short and fall short of the glory of God. Verse number 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. What you see here is the continuing thread is where do we get righteousness from? It comes by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It comes by faith. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And so the scriptures here tell us that through Christ Jesus, the status that we were before, not righteous, there was none, no not one righteous, that through Christ Jesus, we've been made righteous. In theological terms, it's, it, the righteousness has been imputed to us. It has been given to us. It's something that we did not earn on our own. It is something that we could not qualify. It's something that even if we paid and had all of the money in our pockets, we still would not be able to stand before God and say, there's a righteousness on our own. And the righteousness comes from Christ Jesus. Now, when Christ is our savior and living in us, we are made righteous. And what happens is that the Romans in five, the five and 21, it says that through one man, many were made righteous. So meaning through the act and the work of Christ Jesus, we all can stand as those who've been made righteous by God. So what does this have to mean when we go back to our scripture in James? And so what it means is that those who have put their faith 
and trust in God through Christ Jesus, guess what? Their prayers will be both powerful and effective. Not on the basis of (laughs) when was the last time you came to church, although church is great. Not on the basis of how many scriptures have you read this week, although reading the Bible is great. On the basis of what Christ has already done. Do you understand the distinction? That our righteousness comes from what Christ has done. Now, the righteous man is the one who is committed to doing God's will and to cultivating a relationship with God that knows God's heart. And the truth really is, is that powerful and effective prayer comes not from the greatness of the person praying. It comes from the greatness of the God that they're praying to. And so that's why it makes a difference who we pray to. Because you can't just say, well, pray to any God and the same same, you'll have the same uh, effects. And what we realize is that the type of prayer and all these uh, aspects of prayer, he introduces the fact that, listen, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And in the text, James gives us a case study. He says, look at Elijah. Let's look here in the text, James chapter number five and verse number 17. It says, Elijah was what? He was a what? He was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not what? Rain on the land for how long? Three and a half years. Then it goes on to say, and then what happened? And then he prayed again. And guess what? Heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Now, you need to understand, uh, because some of us were like, we can deal with our rain. But you need to understand the significance of what was going on. Uh, They were in an agrarian society. If you went three and a half years without rain, guess what? That's all your food. That's all of the materials that you're making from that. Your trees aren't growing. And so it impacted every aspect of their lives. And so by the prayer of one man, guess what happened? A whole nation, a whole land, there was not rain for three and a half years. And then as he prayed again, it began to rain. So what do you see here? He says that this was an ordinary man who decided I'll be committed to God, God's work, God's will. And through that, his prayers were powerful and effective. So we realize that when you ask the question, am I righteous? Through Christ Jesus, I've been made righteous. And so if I've been made righteous through Christ Jesus, I look to the second aspect of saying, what does it mean that prayer is powerful and effective? What does it mean that prayer is powerful and effective? You see, we must realize that prayer for others can uh, can often affect a change, response, or provision from God, but ultimately, effective prayer is not simply getting what we want. Now, I, I need to clarify that because if we simply go into prayer and think about prayer is effective only when we get what we want, that we have not seen the breadth of what God calls for in prayer. See, the real benefit of prayer is that God's best is being manifested in the earth. And so whatever God's best is, we see that it happens. We can learn this example from Jesus. And many of you know the story of when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, first of all, he had his disciples with him. Now, he had a group of disciples as he's going into the garden. They're supposed to stand and keep watch. In other words, they were supposed to pray till Jesus came out. But they fell asleep. (laughs) 
Then he takes his disciples in there and they're not able to go and to pray with them. And so what he says is that, listen, I'm in a time and in a place where he's praying to the effect that he's almost sweating blood that is coming forth and he's having anguish. And in his prayer, you hear him crying out before God. And he says, Abba, Father, everything is possible with you. But if it is possible, take this cup from me. And then he says this words, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet not what I will, but what you will. If Jesus is our example and our model, what we realize here is that it wasn't the aspect of simply getting what he wanted. Because in reality, what he may have wanted at that time was, if it's possible, let that cup pass me by. And I know I prayed some prayers and in the moment it prayed, I was praying what would make me feel most comfortable at that particular moment. And, and there were moments when even when I came to Boston, Massachusetts, I was praying, Lord, if it's possible, move me out this city. I was praying, Lord, if it's possible to get me out of this place. And, and we could, can, can, can we be honest? I mean, Boston's a great place, but I, I wasn't used to Boston prices. I wasn't used to the fact that, you know, the price for a house here, I could get a mansion, probably a driver and and a a couple other things for the price of a house here in Massachusetts. I wasn't ready for all of that. I I mean, when I was in law school, I was sharing with Pastor Phil. I said, listen, I'm letting you know I'm giving you notice. This is my one year notice. I graduate law school in one year and I'm taking the bar exam once. So if we got to move. We're moving now. <laughs> We're getting out of this place. And, and I, I was, I had my sights on, on Pastor Jay's hometown, North Carolina. I, I was like, we're going to move south. <laughs> we're going to go somewhere. We're going to get out. <laughs> We're going to get out of here. <laughs> and, and, and the Lord was like, nope, you're going to stay right here. And so I realized that there were some prayers that in the moment, I, I, my, it wasn't that my, my prayer was effective based upon I, me getting what I wanted, but the prayer was effective based on the fact that God's best became a reality in my life. And for Jesus, God's best, he realized that if he did not go to the cross, guess what? <laughs> that part about there's no one righteous, no, not one. Guess what? There wouldn't be a rest of the chapter if Christ didn't go to the cross. And so because of his obedience, even in the place of intercession, he's realizing this hurts, but I'm interceding that God's best become accomplished. And so what do we do? It teaches us to pray. And even as Jesus taught the disciples to pray, when a prayer is powerful and effective, it's because we're praying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what effective prayer is? And when God is when God's kingdom comes, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what effective prayer is. So how do I operate in an aspect where my prayers are powerful and effective? When I'm praying for others, I have to realize and believe that God has the power to do the impossible. If we're simply praying in our own strength, with our own resources, then intercessory prayer can be overwhelming. But when we realize that every time that we are praying for someone else, it is by his great power that is at work within us, then we realize that intercessory prayer is possible for all of us. You see, if if Mark comes on up, Mark, come come here uh, for me. If Mark comes up and he says, man, I got a prayer need. Um, I really need to get this apartment and I need $1,500 in the next week. (laughs) And... If I if I heard that prayer request, the immediate first thought is, 
do I have $1,500 in the bank? And I begin to think of how can I solve the issue? And many of us, when we go into intercessory prayer, we're always thinking about how can I be Mark's savior? Rather than the fact of intercession is the realization that whatever is the need, I have access to the one who has more than look $1,500 in God's bank account. <laughs> he has access to more resources, more provision, everything greater and beyond all that I can ever ask or think. And so my responsibility is not to wear the burden myself, but my responsibility is to take this need as an intercessor. And I go before God and I say, Lord, I'm pleading on behalf behalf of my brother Mark as if I was the one who needed a place next week. I need that $1,500, Lord. However you make a way, Lord, get him into a place where he can have a, a place where he can stay. And now in that time of prayer, God may say, remember that little nest egg you stashed? <laughs> he might say, open that up. But it's because God directed it, not because you were trying to be someone's savior. Intercession is not about trying to replace God. Intercession is pleading and petitioning on behalf of someone else for God's best to be accomplished in their life. Thank you, Mark. So what does it mean? It means that if we're going to have great power at work and we're going to have powerful and effective prayers, we're going to have to realize that God is the one doing the work. And our responsibility is to be the vessels that are pleading on behalf for that. So I just want to, as we as we wrap this up, I want to talk about just quickly five things that you see here in the text about powerful prayer. Number one, powerful prayer brings healing. Powerful prayer brings healing. What does that mean? Uh, in chapter five, we read that and James gave a specific example about the power of prayer through divine healing. Now, uh, this text, it says uh, uh, that it's, it's not only giving one example of power. Uh, it's not, excuse me, it's not giving a comprehensive of the only ways that prayers are powerful, but it's giving one example of the fact that prayer is powerful and intercession is powerful in the fact that when someone is sick, they can be healed through Christ Jesus. And here in the in the text in the scripture, I'm not making it up. I, I, I'm not you know, I'm not coming up with this on my own. But you see this here in James chapter number five. He says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? And in verse number 14, he asks this question. Is any one of you sick? Is any one of you sick? Now, uh, that, that, that word, uh, if you look at the original language, uh, sick can be expanded beyond just physical to also spiritual, but the emphasis here is really on the physical sickness. And here it says, if any one of you is sick, he should call to the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. Now, in this example, the elders are called upon to anoint the sick person with oil. But pay attention. It's with oil in what? The name of the Lord. The power is not in the fact that there's something magic about this oil. Guess what? You can go to the store and buy the same oil. It, there, there, there's no there's nothing special, nothing magic about this particular oil. The second aspect of the elders, they had responsibility, but the power was really in the fact that God was at work. And so in the intercession, they are just responding to the promise that God has given. The elders are God's representatives and the prayer offered in what? In faith is what makes the sick person well. So the healing is not on the basis of what echelon the elder is praying you know, it's not whether they're the arch archbishop or whether they're the underbishop or whether they're just the adjutant, uh, assistant adjutant or whatever position that they're in. It's a reality 
that they're standing in proxy, commanding God's blessings to come upon those who are sick and that healing comes forth. Now, in the culture, olive oil, which was used for anointing, was known for medicinal purposes. And so even some scholars who have looked at this particular text, they said, well, was Peter telling us, uh, excuse me, was um, uh, James telling us that, you know, we should pray and then go to the doctor? Well, the, the manifestation of how the healing comes about was not necessarily the emphasis. It was the reality that it's through Christ's power and work that the healing would be manifested. And so realizing what we sang today, the same, uh, the, the power, his resurrection power. I mean, have you thought about what resurrection power means? I mean, can you think about if you could bottle up resurrection power and put it in a bottle and be able to put it on the shelf? What would be the directions on there? The directions, be careful when using it because it can do some impossible things. It's at work. Active ingredient faith. And he said that same resurrection power is at work within us. And so when we look at powerful prayer, powerful prayer brings healing. And here he uses the example in the text to realize, guess what? If you're sick in your body, if there's illness or malady in your body, he says, come to the elders of the church. And when they pray, you'll see powerful and effective prayer in the fact that people are being healed from even ailments and diseases. Well, not only does powerful prayer bring healing, but powerful prayer transcends distance. Powerful prayer transcends distance. Now, uh, what I mean by this is the reality that when you have powerful prayer, guess what? It does not have a mileage limit on it. The powerfulness of prayer is the fact that we can be standing here in Boston, Massachusetts. How long was the flight to Indonesia? 24 hours. Woo! Ah. <laughs> 24 hours. I mean... <laughs> Guess what? You know how powerful prayer is? Prayer can transcend regardless of the location. And so no matter how far or how near, powerful prayer, powerful, me, powerful prayer can reach people wherever they're at. This was the beauty in the New Testament as uh, the apostle uh, uh, Peter was imprisoned. And as he was there, there were ladies who were praying for him. And as they were praying for them, there was a young lady named Rhoda. As she was praying for him, she heard a knock at the door. And, and, and they're thinking, Peter's still in jail. And Rhoda's going to open the door. And she's like, well, I've been praying for this Peter. He's a long way away at jail. And guess what? Her prayers and their prayers were already at work. So to the fact that when he came to the door, everybody else was shocked. They were like, well, how can that be? Guess what? Your prayers did not have a mileage limit. Your prayers can go beyond just even in this room. Your prayers can go that you might have family members even throughout this nation or outside of this nation. You can have people that you're praying for that are across the oceans. And while it may take time in order for us to physically get there, I thank God that he is not limited by physicality and our prayers are not limited by distance and the fact that powerful prayer transcends distance. Yeah. You need to know when you're praying. <laughs> you know, it's one thing because we, we have this wireless microphone and you'll learn that there are certain ranges that they can operate within. And if you go beyond certain ranges, you get interference. And I thank God that there's not a range limit on God where he will say, oh, well, that's too far out my outside of my zone of interference. That That's too outside of where I'm going to act and operate. But God says the earth is mine and the fullness thereof. And wherever you need God to be in, at work, 
He's able to reach into those particular circumstances and situations. Powerful prayer transcends distance. Number three, powerful prayer can cover multitudes. Number three, powerful prayer can cover multitudes. You see, when prayer is powerful, you need to realize the fact that prayer is not simply just a one to one. I mean, uh, one of the things, as I mentioned, is that I I left it actually in my book bag. But if you've come to Morrisville Fellowship Church once, your name goes on a list. And guess what? We pray for those people on the list. At our leadership council meeting, we just had one this past week. We sat and took time at the end of our meeting to begin to pray and to intercede for those who are part of our congregation. And on a regular basis, the pastoral staff and the leadership staff, they're praying for you. You may not know it, but they're spending time praying for you. And the beauty of it is, is the fact that guess what? I mean, if I try to just try and cover every single person, guess what? We This church would be limited. I cap it at Lord. All right. 50 is my limit. I can't pray for more than 50 people. So we're just going to have to put you in and out of cycles. You know, all right. Mars Hill Fellowship Church Part A, y'all, it's your season of prayer. <laughs> part B, you know, y'all, y'all get y'all get your blessings next six months or something like that. But the reality is that powerful prayer can cover multitudes. And the realization is that Hezekiah, who was a king in the Old Testament, as he was praying before God, he prayed and God sent an angel. And in one night, over 185,000 men in Sennacherib's army were defeated by the prayer of one person. So one man's prayer and intercession can cover multitudes. Think about the fact, I love this, Brother Andrew was sharing about the story of the missionary. I mean, I didn't love the fact that he was martyred. But think about the fact that one person made a decision that I'm going to go to an unreached place and share the good news of the gospel. That there are people some 150 years later who are able to freely worship God because someone made a decision to pray for a nation and a people group. What do you think could happen? If one can cover multitudes, if one can cover a thousand, two can chase 10,000, what do you think could happen at Mars Hill Fellowship Church, who some might say, oh, you're just a small little church here at the Holiday Inn in Brooklyn. But what do you think could happen if we could get on one accord, begin praying for our city, begin praying for this land that is around us, begin praying for those who are in Brookline who are homeless, begin praying for, Lord, our neighborhoods, begin praying. What do you think could happen? It's not in the fact that how am I going to cover all these people? It's in the realization that powerful prayer can cover multitudes. Powerful prayer, number four, releases strongholds. Powerful prayer releases strongholds. We learn of David who interceded for Saul. And every time he began to play his instrument, guess what would happen? The evil spirits that were tormenting Saul would go away. Think about the fact there, there is an anointing, not just in having someone up here who has some good licks and, you know, they're in the upper echelon of the Berkeley crew. I mean, that's not what we're looking for. We're not just looking for superstar musical superstars. As a matter of fact, we don't want that because the reality is, is that someone who is a powerful and prayer, uh, a powerful and effective prayer warrior will use their instruments, not just as an instrument to play music, but they'll use it as an instrument of prayer. And so every time they're playing, they're almost, we might use our voice as as how we pray, but they're praying through their instruments. And so I don't want someone praying who's praying a a spirit that is not in line with God. But I want someone who's praying God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Lastly, powerful prayer advances faster and further. Powerful prayer advances faster and further. You see, if I realize some of the things that have happened in my life, I realize that there's a lot of times where I've taken 10 steps back. And when I think about prayer, I'm thinking, how am I going to recover all of those 10 steps? How am I going to get beyond where I'm at right now? But the realization is that powerful prayer does not look at how many steps you've taken back, but powerful prayer is able to advance further and faster and go beyond just what took us maybe two or five years to get out of. Powerful prayer is able to transcend and in a moment. God is able to turn around situations and circumstances. In a moment, God is able to take things that were going the wrong way. And through powerful prayer, we see that things are turned around for the glory of God. Powerful prayer, powerful and effective prayer. You see, not only does God have the power to do the impossible, but he promises that when we ask in his will, we will see effective prayer. I close with this scripture here. 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5, verse number 14. says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse number 15. Do you have that or? Verse number 15. Sorry, I didn't put that on there. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So this is the confidence that we have. This is the confidence we have in intercession. It's not something to be afraid to figure out, well, I can't pray for them because I don't know how to help them. But you do know the one who has all the answers. God's not looking for you to try and be the genie in the bottle. As a matter of fact, you're out of place when you try to do that. The reality is God is looking for you to plead, to petition on their behalf. And to ask of the Lord, Lord, your will be done. First John promises that we have confidence in approaching God. We ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So how do you pray? Ultimately, you pray according to God's will. What does his word say? And if you don't know his particular, what is particular, uh, what the scriptures say, pray, Lord, your will be done in their life. I mean, it's funny because, you know, oftentimes people will come to me and, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll ask, Pastor Joe, will you agree in prayer with me about this? Now, I first have to ask, you know, well, what do you want me to agree with? Because I'm not just going to agree with anything. Because I can't pray something outside of God's will. But I'm praying that God's will be done. God's best be accomplished in and through your life. And that's what powerful and effective prayer is. Not always getting what we want but getting God's best. The prayers of a righteous man or woman. It availeth much. It's powerful and effective. The prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Today, as we close out this scripture and really realize this aspect of praying for each other or praying for one another, My heart's cry is that you would see the responsibility of intercession as part of your call as a member of the body of Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, part of your responsibility is not just to look at your brother or sister in need and say, oh, well, sorry for them. 
but it's really to pray for them, to intercede on their behalf. This morning, I'm passing out index cards. This is how we're going to pray our benediction this morning. On these index cards, I want you just to begin to pray, uh, write down a prayer request. And we're going to have you, you're going to exchange these prayer requests um, uh, with someone else. You can share as, as you're comfortable. But I just want you to write down this morning just a prayer request. We're going to put intercession practice in place, even this morning. Now, listen, I, I know it's, it's, it's easy in these settings to be like, all right, well, let me put the standard prayer request, you know, peace, prosperity. But what is your prayer? I mean, if that's it, that's fine. But what is a prayer request that your brother or sister can lift up for you this morning? Because as we close out, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for one another. We're going to share with one another these prayer requests. If you're in need of a pen, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring a pen to you. But just take a moment. We're going to, as the musicians play softly, I want you to write down just a prayer request, whatever it may be. It may be for your family. Maybe there's sickness that you're dealing with. Maybe there's aspects of you losing peace. Some of you don't know, but over this last year, our family has been in an intense season of prayer. Because even as a pastor, we experience the ups and downs of life. And for those of you who have known a little bit about my situation is that when the Lord called us to plant Mars Hill Fellowship Church, I guess my contingency plan was, Lord, I, I, I'll serve you as long as I still keep my six-figure salary. And that was my cushion and security blanket. And I said, you know, okay, Lord, you know, I'm willing to do all these things. Just, you know, keep it flowing how we like to flow. And the Lord begins to challenge. And in challenging me and, and in this season and this last year, one of the prayers that I prayed is I never wanted to see the call of ministry become a sacrifice that where my family would be destroyed for either lack of finances or lack of responsibility and those of you who are members here, you understand I've shared before is that in starting a church plant and starting a church work, a lot of the resources for Mars Hill Fellowship Church is coming out of our pockets. And uh, for the first couple of years, just a lot of the resources my wife and I were funding along with those who were on the core team. And so we got to a season where I kind of felt like Elijah. But Lord, you called me to go do something and then I get out there and then the brook dries up. And in a season where I would say it's been one of the toughest experiences of my life through this year, I've been asking God, Lord, okay, make a way, make provision. And even as I began sharing with the leadership team about what was going on, we had fasted and prayed and, you know, people were, were joining around. I remember sitting in one meeting and as I was sharing with the leadership team, they were saying, they're saying at the next meeting, don't order food or anything else. And beyond my calling for anything, they did this on their own. The leadership team began to say, we're setting aside 30 days where we're going to pray and fast for your family. And so, in a time when I was asking God, I feeling like David, where he said, like the cords of death were entangling me. 
I realized that there were people who were making a commitment. I mean, it's one thing to fast when you know you need something for yourself. But the, I mean, honestly, if, if I was fasting, I mean, I, I could have easily said, all right, we'll do seven days and, and be done with it. But they committed for 30 days to seek God's face, to intercede, to plead on our family's behalf as if it was their own very family. And as they prayed, and one of the humbling things is as soon as I found out, I was like, all right, I got to join in the fast. And, 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 and Pastor Mike was like, we, we, did, we kept this from you because we didn't want you to try and join in there. He's like, if the Lord leads, do it. And as I began to pray, the Lord said, don't fast. And now this is the one time where I'm like, Lord, please let me fast. Like, and, and, and the reason why it was so hard was because I had a hard time accepting people doing stuff on my behalf. And I wasn't in there jumping in. But the reality was the Lord was showing me something. That he was going to be at work. Even while I was doing the responsibility he had given to me. That the Lord said he'll supply all of my needs according to his riches which are in Christ Jesus. Now they prayed some specific prayers and I'm going to be sharing some of the things and 2013 will be a new season and the Lord has opened some doors and excited about what the Lord is doing in this next season and I thank God for answered prayer. I'm going to be sharing more about the testimony about that but I, I share this story not, I mean, it's personal. I mean, it, it's, it's not easy just to come and share that, hey, it's been a dark season. But some of you need to know that when you are interceding for others, it might be life or death for them. And you think it's just, oh man, I'm just saying a few words for them. But in reality, you might be helping them go one more day when they were willing to give up and say it's done. I know most of you see wonderful, warm Pastor Joseph, who's always up here smiling and everything else. Well, Pastor Ophelia knows the Pastor Joseph who comes home sometimes wondering, can I make it another day? Can I go through this one more day? And it's because those who God had called, those who God had set around us, made a decision say we're going to pray and intercede Hallelujah! all over the sanctuary let's just stand as we pray father in the name of jesus lord we thank you for each and every request lord we thank you for each and every prayer that has been lifted up lord uh, i thank you for lord the opportunity that you've given us as a body of believers oh god lord to not only just listen to the word of god but lord but to actively participate in the work of ministry oh god lord you've called us to be intercessors to pray for each other lord and so even right now as we have lifted requests and petitions up lord before you. Lord, we cover every one of these prayers and petitions. Lord, we know that powerful prayer brings healing, oh God, Lord. Lord, that powerful prayer is not limited by distance, oh God, Lord. Lord, we thank you, oh God, Lord, that your powerful prayer, Lord, is alive and moving into through circumstances, Lord, that there is nothing too hard for you, oh God. And so, Lord, even with every request, even right now in the name of Jesus, 
Lord, we're asking, oh God, Lord, for your breakthrough, oh God, Lord, for your will to be done, oh God. Lord, for every, oh God, Lord, thing that we petition you on behalf of them even right now, oh Lord. Lord, would you move away of your spirit, oh God. Lord, overflow, oh God, into your people, oh God. Lord, overflow, Lord, your will be done, oh God, Lord, even right now. So, Father, oh God, Lord, let your will be done, oh God. Lord, we need a touch from you, oh God. Lord, be at work even right now in the name of Jesus, oh God. Lord, we thank you even right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you, oh God, Lord. Lord, that we can pray powerful and effective prayer. Lord, because of the righteousness that we have through Christ Jesus. If there's anyone who is sick this morning, if there's anyone who's sick in their body this morning, we just want to pray for you and do as the scripture says.